found the voucher is one of the most convenient ways that I'm finding now to do my shopping here at Mama Joe. And I, my sister just sent through the voucher on my cell phone, and I just come straight into Mama Joe to do my shopping. Well, let's see, too long, but see you in the town. Well, in for me, I'll be past I think it's really convenient for families overseas if they don't know what to, how to help their families here, then this is the perfect way. My Apologies for the delay in our program and thank you for joining me this evening for the first edition of our Pacific 360 show, where we delve deeper into the issues faced by our Pacific communities across Oceania. In this space, we will meet inspirational Pacific Islanders as we move from island to island to explore further the headlines of the day and the issues faced by that community. In these times of uncertainty, loss, and grief, political strife, and fear, I also hope to bring in stories of hope and resilience through the guests that we will interview. We take pride in our Pacific identities as a group, but how much do we truly take the time to learn about each other and to understand the stories of our neighboring islands? those in Polynesia, in Micronesia, and Melanesia. So tonight, we will look to Fiji for some inspiration with our first guest. Lisa Mobono is an award-winning Fijian journalist based in Suva. She has worked as a journalist and a communications specialist for over 20 years in the Pacific region. She currently runs Today Media Fiji, an independent media outlet which focuses on current affairs in her home country. She is currently the Fiji correspondent for Radio New Zealand Pacific and the ABC in Australia. Her work has also featured on Al Jazeera, BBC, The Guardian, and others. 
Lisa has been reporting on the COVID crisis in Fiji uh, since it began. She was recently awarded a prestigious Feminist Journalist Fellowship by the Association for Women's Rights in uh, Development, or AWID. Lisa, Bola, and congratulations again. Talofa and Kiora, thank you so much, uh, Langi Poiva. It's uh, always a pleasure to be talking to you and speaking to our Pacific community together. I'm so happy to be here. It's such an honor to be your first guest. Binaka. Well, it's a great honor for me to have you on. I mean, what better place is that than Fiji, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very exciting time. Uh, it's a very sad time for everyone. Um, but I'm so honored that you took the time to meet with me this evening. Um, you know, I've been witnessing your work for many years now, and I've also just been admiring the way that you've been reporting um, on issues in Fiji for the past 10 years. Uh, and I know that our careers have gone side by side uh, with international media. So it's really exciting to have this time with you. But let's start with this amazing award that you've received. Can you tell us more about it? Vinaka Langipoiva, the award is called um, Feminist Journalist Project. It's a fellowship, as you mentioned. So what the AWID, which um, as somebody explained to me, like the superheroes of, uh, you know, the gender space, or at least in the Asia Pacific region, uh, what they decided uh, was to recognize the work of um, women journalists, or sorry, let me let me correct that, because because I've been corrected on my first um, session with the rest of the group and that's it's not a women uh women's program it's a feminist program so you know feminists can come in in uh many different um, shapes and sizes and personalities and so what the fjp tried to do was recognize women that they felt um you know had done some work some substantial work i suppose is the way to put it um in the area of uh gender but not from your traditional uh gender point of view so as you and i have discussed in detail over the past couple of weeks, I, I wouldn't define myself as, you know, your typical um, feminist journalist, but uh, as has been explained to me by, by yourself and by um, other friends and colleagues of mine that I admire like you, um, anyone who wants to do work that gives everyone, regardless of gender, equal opportunity or equal access to opportunities, you know, falls under the gambit of feminism. So um, the wonderful thing about the program is they only want to bring these women together, uh, give them a little bit of money and teach them a thing or two. There's absolutely no requirement, you know, for us to produce stories or anything. And so it's an award in that sense because it's recognition. And um, for me, it's um, really, really exciting and very important because um, they've never had, they don't have enough Pacific representation on these global things. And I desperately wanted um, to be able to pull some attention, you know, to our region and to pull some attention to the, the issues that confront us in the region. And, and uh, like you mentioned, our careers have moved side by side in, in quite those same issues, you know, in, in the environmental issues that our ocean, our islands and our communities face, uh, in the gender space and, you know, 
know, the Pacific has some of the worst um, gender-based violence uh, statistics in the world. And so it was, that was for me why it was so significant. I just wanted to say, you know, we're here. Hi, look at us. We're here. <laughs> Pay attention to our voice. Listen to what we have to say. So um, yes. it's, it's a year-long fellowship and it's very exciting. Langtoeva. I'm excited for you and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, you know, uh, how your perspective will shift, if that, or rather strengthen um, over the next year. So um, definitely looking forward to that. I'm glad that someone, at least one woman journalist is, you know, uh, holding the Pacific flag in the, in the cohort. So that's really exciting for me. Um, on that note, you know, it, it's really interesting, this concept of feminism and how it's really white feminism that we're scared of uh, because feminism does absolutely right it's, absolutely uh, and, and sorry and and i said the same thing that i'd said to you when you know we were celebrating uh, the award together the morning after it was announced I, I said the same thing at our first FJP um, uh, session uh, a week ago. And um, I had a colleague from Namibia, I think it was, that said to me, I feel the same way all the time, but maybe it's you know white feminism. Maybe it's Western ideals of feminism that we're uncomfortable with. And uh, there's definitely a shift already because the shift is first understanding that there's no one size fits all in, you know, mm -hmm. in these ideas and philosophies and that being there as a Fijian woman, as a Pacific Islander woman is also being there to say, hang on, we want to see how feminism works in the context of, of our culture, of our lotu, of our whenua. Yes. Mm. Mm. And I think, you know, the more opportunities that Pacific women take in those spaces um, and having a woman journalist from the Pacific be part of that space really brings home that point, I feel. So really exciting stuff. I just want to share this anecdote. When I was 19, I had a feminist training. I joined a feminist training in Fiji. And the term was brought up um, by the Fiji Women's Rights Movement, FWRM. And they were like, you're a feminist. And I, as a 19-year-old, I was like, no, I'm not. I don't burn bras. I don't mm. hate men, you know, but that's the, that's the way that we were kind of um, mm. orientated towards it. So I pitched the term mild feminist, feminist, you know, can we be called mild feminist instead? But I think now we, we have a better understanding. So I think um, given your work in the media, I want to get from you a sense of what the media scene in Fiji is like these days. And I know there's been challenges, you know, uh, many challenges, but also amazing things that the Fijian media community has done. So how is it going so far? Um, you know, I, I think uh, I wouldn't be doing my colleagues justice if I wasn't very upfront about the fact that we're at a time in our history when our work 
is criminalized, when a lot of what we have to do can earn us uh, a very hefty fine. I definitely wouldn't be able to afford it. And so uh, one of my closest friends who is a lawyer is permanently on notice to look at my work and tell me if I'm, you know, how close I am um, to earning myself a police charge or a criminal charge for that matter. Um, and now for the first time in our history, uh, we've had since um, our Media Act came into force in 2010, you can be jailed for the work that you do here. And some of it very um, easy to, you know, to be guilty of or to be charged with, uh, at least. And so I think the first thing I need to say is that we work under very difficult media laws. Uh, some people call it draconian. Uh, I think I would call it extremely challenging. Um, it requires uh, anyone coming into the industry, the mainstream media industry, needs to have a very, very good read of our media laws before you engage in media work here because it's dangerous. But having said that, I think, you know, desperate situations create, uh, produce creativity in all of us. And so um, I'm always very proud to be part of the, the Fijian media industry and to be part of a community of journalists who are, you know, constantly pushing the envelope, trying to find ways to do justice to the work that we have to do, um, given the conditions that we work uh, under. But this pandemic that we're all in is, I think, forcing all of us uh, to, to think about where our audience is, to think about whether we're doing the work justice and, you know, mm -hmm. whether our readers read us anymore, you know. Um, I, I remember growing up and having parents who uh, would pick up the newspaper in the morning and sit with it at breakfast. And so we, we did the same thing for part of the way, but I haven't done that for the past 15 years. You know, I've been on the phone <laughs> for the past 15 years. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've, caught, I've caught the news on Twitter, <laughs> you know. I've caught the news on Facebook. And, and um, my children, I don't think, We'll never buy a newspaper ever. And so I, I don't know if um, the Fijian media industry or the Pacific media industry, for that matter, have um, enough of a realization of this trend to invest the resources to transition. Um, I worked at the Fiji Times uh, about three years ago now for a four-year period. Uh, doing exactly this, helping mm -hmm. management to transition. And so uh, the Fiji Times have uh, one of the biggest news teams and they're one of the few people I know who have a dedicated online team. Um, Fiji Village is, is for me the poster child, the poster children of, you know, amazing digital work <laughs> in, the, in Fiji. And so, you know, they're always pushing the envelope. So um, how is the Fiji media doing? I think that we work very hard under very difficult circumstances, uh, but it's forcing us to be innovative and, and be creative. Mm -hmm. I still remember walking into the Fiji Times office and looking around thinking, this is the biggest newsroom I've ever been to in the Pacific. I mean, it's well-resourced. Um, and I've come across some amazing journalists, you know, who've come through the Times. So I definitely do not uh, envy the position that, you and your colleagues go through on a daily basis, especially when there's information that's very sensitive. But I still admire the fact that you continue to report on the issues, even with those challenges. So speaking of challenges and issues, um, I now want to slide into the COVID crisis in Fiji. Mm. Um, condolences, I know you've lost some relatives. Uh, I know it's a really hard time for the media fraternity in Fiji. 
as well, seeing, you know, people cover their communities, who've lost people they know, families and friends. And I really feel that that's something that a, an international journalist doesn't understand, that when a Pacific journalist covers an issue like that on an island, you are bound to know someone you're reporting yes. on. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the COVID crisis really demonstrates how, you know, tight-knit the community is. So the, the latest COVID numbers look absolutely heartbreaking from Fiji. Uh, according to the Pacific community numbers that I've just reviewed, uh, in the past 14 days alone, over 5,000, uh, there's been over 5,000 total cases and well over 46,000 uh, so far cases for Fiji. Um, how are those numbers working out for you? What's the current uh, death toll from your end? Yeah, that, that sounds absolutely correct, Sherelle. Uh, um, my total cases are at 46,565. Uh, total deaths, 494. So total deaths is total COVID certified deaths. We have another couple of hundreds, uh, if I'm not mistaken, closer to 300. Um, people who are positive, were pos positive at the time of death, but um, you know who were certified to have died or something else. So. It is a, I don't quite know what the word is to describe it, but in recent weeks, I've been part of conversations like, like this. Well, well, not like this, where we have to pretty up and, you know, do it on TV <laughs> for people to watch, but um, <laughs> conversations with, um, there was a, a workshop last week with um, Asian Development Bank and the Reuters Foundation teaching Southeast Asian journalists on COVID-19 reporting. And a couple of us were, you know, giving our ideas and, I think um, one of the ways that was best articulated at that session was for the first time in history, as journalists, we can't not be the news. You know, one of, one of our code of conduct, one of our ethics is don't make yeah. yourself a part of the news. But this is the mm -hmm. first time in our history when you simply cannot do that, when you are a part of the news. And you're absolutely right in Fiji uh, with population of what less than a million uh where all most of the worst of this crisis is restricted to uh you know four towns which you know you can call them towns but they're really just communities very close to each other uh, about the size of, of of your main island i would say um everyone knows somebody that's been affected every single newsroom in this country has had their outbreak has had infections some of the deaths have been from the newsrooms as well. Uh, I lost uh, 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 a nay, so the nay is in Fijian terms, it's your mom's brother's wife. So uh, similar to your culture, that those are the uncles and aunts that are you know, very close to you, people that you treat like a fairy godmother, fairy you know, godfather in Western mm -hmm. terms type of a way. So uh, people we were close to. Um, and it's, um, it is not an experience that you know how to navigate. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a cousin of mine whose husband had passed away asked me to come and be one of only 10 people allowed at graveside uh, to film her husband's funeral so that her children living in the rest of Fiji could watch. And it was harrowing watching her because by the time the pallbearers were gone, uh, the only people left of the 10 that's currently allowed in funeral protocols was me and her. So I was standing a bit of a way off 
photographing her, videoing her, standing there by herself and just navigating the mind space between a camera person and cousin of the deceased. Yeah. It's, um, it's a difficult place. And I, uh, I, I think I'm so grateful that in these times, we all recognize that. And I've, I've been so very lucky. My two biggest clients, the ABC and Radio New Zealand, are run by women, <laughs> headed by women who uh, seem to always know that, you know, in addition to the gadgets and the stats and the being there on time for the bulletins, that you do have to check on people's mental health. So I think I might have been flagged about three times in the past five months by my ABC colleague, Catherine, telling me, you're not sounding so great. Please take a break. Um, <laughs> difficult. Take it, yeah. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. difficult very uh, challenging but you know it is the work we chose to do you find a way you move on i now find myself exercising because my mother said it's a good way to handle stress first time in my life i'm exercising is it working but, like, do you <laughs> um, feel better I, I think it might be working. It might also just be in my head. I am cooking a lot more, so that might be taking effect more. But yeah, these are challenging times we're in. Uh, I have to say, I am grateful for people like you. Uh, the support that we've gotten from colleagues in the region, you know. I think I've spoken with you and with Bernadette and with Hilda at the ABC and with, you know, other colleagues around the region just checking in. How are you doing? How are you? Do you need any help? You know, what's, what, what can we do? So, um, yeah, it's, it's that kind of a time when you just need to say, yeah, this is not something we trained for, but mm -hmm. something we can do together. Well, I hope you're doing self-care now, and it sounds like your mom has some, some good uh, tips for you. Um, one of the most kind of compelling images that I saw um, during the, the coverage from Fiji is the FPC offices, the news offices, and how there was no one left during the day, there was only one reporter left because everyone was either in isolation or attending a funeral or, and, um, and I think that speaks to what you just shared about your cousin um, and your relatives and how, you know, that conflict that you had on when do you become a journalist and when do you become the family? And that's a space that we always have to navigate as specific journalists, that challenge that sometimes you can't choose one or the other, that you're, you're both mm. at all times. Um, so I really uh, appreciate you sharing that story. And I'm, again, condolences for the loss of, of your relatives. I know that um, that must have been hard. So, and I think that touches to our next question on what are the challenges um, 
do you want to touch on additional challenges that you've gone through? But because I feel like maybe you've summarized it all in, in what you've just said. So maybe we'll flip the script and talk about the fact that um, what are some of the stories of hope coming out of Fiji amid this crisis? Yes, let's flip the script. I, um, I, I found myself uh, doing what I've done in recent times when things get tough. I ask myself, what do you do best? Do that because that makes you happy, you know? And so unfortunately for us that choose this vocation, this is what we do best. It's also what we love. And um, so I started to look for stories that, that make a positive impact. I started to really search uh, for positive stories and seeing people, Fijian people, with very little, uh, with very little to go by, with so much to worry about, and we're in the worst time in our history with unemployment at its absolute high, our economic recession at its worst, uh, so much instability, politically even, you know, elections just around the corner. And then you see these young people from informal settlements, from uh, indigenous Fijian villages, with so very little in the Western sense, but reaching out to help each other, you know, going online, using social media to find resources, to mobilize uh, the Vanua. Um, uh, I see on Team Fiji Twitter, there's, there's people uh, grouping in provinces. I see journalists like our friend Samsoni Pareti, for example, you know, switching from media boss to, uh, you know, to, to a, a son of his vanua in Lao and doing the work, filling the gaps or uh, standing uh, in the gap and just doing what needs doing to reach people. And so I think... Uh, I will always remember that. I hope that I will forget the fear and the pain and the struggle of loss and, uh, you know, all of the worry about what a trip to the supermarket might mean. I hope that I know that I will always remember hearing stories of um, journalists. One of my favorite is uh, a young colleague from the Fiji Times, Litia Dava, saying to me after... Um, you know, one of the difficult press conferences uh, when the permanent secretary yelled at her, she said, Lydia, I needed to ask that. I needed to ask again. And I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to calm her down. And she says, when I go home, I can't sleep at night. I worry about those answers. And I was so inspired by that because I thought, <laughs> that girl does not hear all of the yelling that just got thrown at her because, you know, she, she, she had her, her people, her readers in mind. And so... Um, I kept carrying that with me because I thought, man, if that's keeping her up at night, finally I have a reason for my insomnia. Uh, uh, seeing people find ways to get food to send out to the community. Uh, our civil service societies, um, you know, NGOs with so little money to begin with and so much work to do, just reverting, adjusting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, becoming humanitarian workers in, in, in the most basic sense of the word, getting food out to people, rescuing people, 
you know, mobilizing our traditional knowledge to get herbal medicine when we found mm-hmm. that there was a herbal medicine that helped with symptoms. Um, just people grouping together when they have so little to begin with and have so little government support and deciding, no, we're going to do it for ourselves. We're going to do it. We're going to find, we're going to drive this many places. We're going to get in a boat to go to that island to bring that herbal medicine. You know, we're going to go to the hospitals and help these people. We're going to feed people, even though back at home, we only have enough food for, you know, today and tomorrow. It's those stories that um, that inspire. And that's happening here in Fiji, uh, even though it's so difficult to find them sometimes because, you know, the death toll continues to rise. Um, the infections have now spread to other islands. So um, the stories are there, the positive stories are there. And my Fijian news colleagues, they're doing a lot of these stories. Uh, I... That just sounds to me like a really good example of resilience, of people really kind of, you know, uh, rising despite all of the adversity. So uh, that's actually fascinating. And how inspiring it is to be a part of that, to Uh. record that in history um, through the media. So that's truly inspirational. I just want to touch on one thing that's been kind of semi-entertaining from the COVID. Uh, you know, you know us in the Pacific. If, if we don't make humor <laughs> out of Always finding something to make fun always of. Always find yes. something entertaining. So it's this <laughs> issue of the relief check, right? The 300 uh, 360? Something. Yeah. 360. Well, there you go. Let's wrap it up with 360. <laughs> so um, you've chosen I, a name that's currently trending in Fiji. <laughs> So very much relevant to the to the issues in Fiji. Um, I just want to touch on that and ask you to kind of like, can you just give us a briefing for many of our, our um, audience tonight who probably don't know this? There was a relief package issued by the Fijian government with three hundred and sixty dollars uh, Fijian dollars, and then um, the ensuing kind of discussions has been very entertaining. Um, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll have uh, Lisa explain what happened. <laughs> okay, so it's called 360 because that's the total amount that you get. Uh, and to qualify, you have to have, first of all, uh, had received your vaccination. So it's, it's a relief package, but uh, targeted at those who hadn't yet taken the vaccines. Because as uh, some of you may know, we're kind of dealing a little bit with vaccine hesitancy. I say vaccine hesitancy because anti-vaxxers are not really a thing in Fiji. We have one of the highest rates of uh, vaccination in the world and vaccinate our babies for about 12 different things, I think. Um, And so People were, you know, listening in on a lot of this anti-vaccination uh, narrative and rhetoric that's, you know, coming out of the U.S. Um, and so it was beginning to be a struggle. And so the government set themselves an October 31st date by which, you know, to reopen our borders and to let people back in. But you know, you can't do that if you don't have herd immunity. So we were at the time only at about 25% um, uh, in terms of those who had been fully vaccinated. So that 
that's 25 percent of 580,000, which is 80 percent of our total adult population. So they gave out this thing and they told people you have to have been vaccinated and you have to have been affected. Your income has to have been affected by the pandemic in some way. So if you lost your job, you had a pay cut, anything like that. And um, all you had to do was apply using your mobile phone because uh, in Fiji, uh, to get a SIM card uh, in order to have a mobile phone account, you have to register with the mobile phone company and the information uh, is accessible by the government. So the only thing in retrospect, the government you know, hadn't really thought about, or maybe they did, you know, because I mean, how do you not think about this, right? So basically you just apply through your phone and bam, it comes to you, mobile money. So uh, we have two telcos here. There's, uh, M- uh, there's Vodafone and there's Digicel. So you get your M-Pesa or you get your DigiMyCash and bam, you go to any, shore, any, any store or shop and you get your money. And so, it just so happened that the first rollout was on a Thursday and by Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and this I know for sure because I checked with some of the supermarkets, um, people were buying a lot of alcohol. I don't know if they were buying more alcohol, less groceries. I don't know how much went to medicines, but we had reports of supermarkets running out of alcohol completely. I remember any- in, in our recent two budgets, so our national budget, which was released in July, and the one that they released last year, we've had a huge de- reductions in the price of alcohol. So, you know, things you used to pay $200 to get now cost $69. So, it, yeah, everyone is drunk. It was a big conversation on the timeline. Everyone is talking about it. Now, I have to offer my personal opinion. My personal opinion is there are a bunch of, you know, smart people there in our government someone knew this was a risk they could have had meal vouchers in addition to cash but you know they just chose to give cash so i'm pretty sure everyone knew this was a possible scenario (laughs) i'm sure fiji was very happy everyone fiji was fiji was very happy very happy there were reports of house parties and we call them yasa parties or neighborhood parties all over the country everyone well not all over the country all over this island because yet you, you could only get it if you wanted to live so yeah there were a lot of happy people drunk people there was a lot <laughs> of nice loud music and you know my personal opinion is i'm happy some people got a you know a bit of a reprieve <laughs> for a little bit you could uh, forget that you're in the middle of a pandemic i wish right. that they had gotten meal vouchers and could spend it on food, but yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. And you know, if that uh, 360 brought happiness to someone, who are we to judge, right? So I think on that note, Lise, uh, we're gonna wrap up. If you have any final comments, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to be the first guest on our our show this evening. Um, And do you have any final things you'd like to say? I always like to wrap up with um, another opportunity. Um, You know what? I I think uh, what I will say is it's been it's been a difficult um, five months for Fiji. uh, Quite possibly the hardest time ever in our history, uh, both past coups included. Um, I personally uh, had gotten to a point in the past month or so where I just said enough 
no more COVID. Please give me something else. Uh, and I think that everyone in this country is looking for an escape somehow from the nightmare that we find ourselves in. Uh, but what I'm so very grateful for is the support. It's always good to get uh, your neighbors. Um, Australia and New Zealand have been the best of our neighbors, you know, giving us the vaccines that we needed and everything else. Uh, but also just uh, in terms of uh, journalism, in terms of being a journalist, hearing from colleagues all across the region, just on a daily basis, already assuming and knowing it would be difficult. That's been a huge help. It's been, um, uh, the, the escape that people like me, anyway, have needed. And so um, I guess a word of advice to uh, journalists in, in the region. Um, I don't have advice for my friends in the Pacifica community in, in New Zealand because they're going through their own situation now. Uh, but to the, to the journalists in Pacifica, to the female journalists specifically, um, go out and do what you need to do do that which you feel strongly about. Um, sometimes in, in the midst of crisis, um, what your purpose is, what your work needs to be, can be very clear. And don't run away from that voice, no matter how hard it may be or lonely that space is. Um, if you know your work can save a life or two, do it eventually it'll all make sense. So uh, thank you so much again, uh, Langi Forever. It is you. always such a pleasure to talk to you. It really what, is. What a beautiful, thank you so much, uh, Lise. What a beautiful way to end this. And I felt like you were speaking to me just now with us, the word of advice. Oh, wonderful. Good. <laughs> so truly appreciate it. And I think uh, for, for Samoan journalists who are also watching this, uh, Lisa, as you know, we, Samoa has been going through a political crisis and threats against women journalists have increased dramatically in the past two weeks, um, which include death threats against young women journalists. And what you have advised just now is something that all women journalists of the Pacific really need to take to heart. And uh, once again, uh, Lise, truly admiring the work that you're doing in Fiji. I'm looking forward to seeing the amazing things you'll continue to do, uh, especially with your fellowship. Um, and keep us in mind and keep the women journalists of the Pacific in mind. Absolutely. In those spaces, uh, because when you go, you represent all of us. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, our very keen audience this evening, thank you so much for joining us. My, it's truly my pleasure to uh, having uh, to present this show this evening and to highlight and truly inspirational women journalists from Fiji. Uh, keep in mind that you can view this uh, podcast or this show again on the Facebook page or on YouTube, and uh, it's also on Spotify. Again, Fafsaiti Lava. Lise, have a great evening. Good night. Good night. Good night.